Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., this is a podcast from Minute Media. But you know, it's like somebody said, nine to one, nine to two, nine to three. I was, I was talking to Mark Can. I said, you know, normally I might be taking some guys out of the game, but with this club, I'm, you guys have made it tough. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, May the 26th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Sylvie. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, very rarely when you go into a road trip and we have the conversation about, well, let's sign up for this, when you walk out of a road trip, do you ever say, well, I'm happy? And I come to you, and, and I don't even want to call these these shows shorts anymore because as I start to evolve with this program and break it up and play the schedule, because that's really what we have to do, especially with a team with the Mets here that is in a race and, and the narrative in the story is evolving and we're together kind of going on this journey. I, uh, you know, the Sunday situation, you know, another Sunday night baseball game and whatnot, uh, you know, you, you can't just throw a show in for the sake of throwing a show in. We want to do this right. So I come to you on this Thursday. And I'm not going to call it a short because I don't know what, you know, what that really means when I kind of do the same show, the same length show. But as I came to you on Friday, and I digress here as I get off on a tangent, which I, I happen to do quite a bit. I came to you on Friday. I said, look, you're going to Colorado. You're going to San Francisco. You have this this very tough stretch with the Phillies coming to town before Memorial Day. 
and then you go out on another brutal West Coast trip to L.A. twice and San Diego. A three and three road trip to Colorado, San Francisco would be acceptable. It really would because you don't know what goes on in Colorado, especially after the snow out. I mean, here it is. It's snow before Memorial Day in Colorado. And you have this double header. So you're like, hey, you sign up for three and three. The Giants are on a, a little bit of a losing streak. San Diego sweeps them. They're due to bust out. Mets go to San Francisco, never play well. And uh, I envisioned a couple of sleepy losses in San Francisco. And not only did you nearly get a really good road trip, four and two, but the losses in San Francisco were anything but. It wasn't a sleep. Maybe yesterday was sleepy. Yesterday was about, let's face it, the, the Zapucky, totally unacceptable, even for first big league start outing. That was the first. I, I was going through the schedule quickly before I came on the air. That was the first non-competitive game I think the Mets have played all year. Maybe the Colorado game on on Saturday night, the second game of the doubleheader. But even that one, the Mets were in it until about the sixth, seventh inning. So you look at three and three, and you're like, well, Mike, that's what you really would have signed up for on Friday, uh, knowing the whole situation. And 100% absolutely right, but when you have a game in the middle of this trip, that crazy game that, again, similar to the Philadelphia game, that was in the wee hours of the morning. I didn't see a, a, a lick of that uh, 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 live. I mean, I went I went to bed when it was 8-2 to two after Bassett had given up uh, Jock Peterson, another Jock Peterson. I mean, here we go, another Carl Schwaber clone. Watch Jock Peterson will get traded to the NL East. We'll have to see him again before the year is out, right? So uh, Jock Peterson has, you know, one of those uh, series where he's walking into every fastball and has a conversation with Barry Bonds. So I check out when it's 8-2. I come and I'll look the next morning, and it's 13-12, and it's like, okay, something happened. You know, the Mets probably were getting blown out, and all of a sudden they had these runs late in the game that made it look better than it is. And then you look at the score, and you look at the highlights, and your your stomach's churning because you're like, they had two outs, nobody on twice, eighth inning, ninth inning, and they blow both of those leads. First with... Drew Smith giving up a three-run homer, controversial situation with the bullpen, and then uh, obviously what happened in the ninth with Diaz where you had one of those Diaz outings. I don't want to make too much of the Tuesday night game because you're not going to summarize where they are and where they're going on just one game. But I think it's a synopsis of where the Mets are, and I think – where they could be going, and I think that's the, the the cloud that's in front of the Mets right now. That game shows a lot of it. Because for the first time, everything about that game showed where the, specifically the Scherzer injury, and then you throw DeGrom in there, and now the depth situation with McGill, where the effect could rear its ugly head. I mean, let's face it, the last two nights, well, actually, specifically the the, the, the afternoon game, that was as close to Jared Eikhoff, Robert Stock outing that you're going to get. I mean, Zepucky did his best Jared Eikhoff impression yesterday. And that was one of the biggest fears we have as we talked about the Mets rotation with DeGrom going down before the season started and now Scherzer and, and what have you is that you'd have more of that. But when you go to the game and see where this team is and, and where maybe the danger is, first you have Chris Bassett, who's pitched very well, who at times has looked every bit the ace that Scherzer has throughout the first two months of the season, has a new contract, possibly even a mutual option that will allow him to stay another year. So you have all this money. So now maybe there's that little bit in your head that starts to say, well, I need to step up. I need to be the man at the top of the rotation. There's no Scherzer. There's no DeGrom. I just got paid. It's in the papers. Remember what I said. Players have always told me the money does matter. And he goes out there and he throws a stinker. Now it's the second stinker against the Giants. Maybe the Giants have figured that he's got that Every te- Everybody has that team that's got somebody figured out. Mets used to have it with Joe McEwing and Randy Johnson. You know, everybody. Hall of Famers have it. Everybody has it. So that's not the worry. But that's your fear. While these guys are out, all of a sudden, the Walkers, the Bassets, the Carrascos go into a slump and maybe drop off a bit to what they really are. I think Walker and, and I mean, you've seen stretches from all those guys, even Walker as recently as last year where they were top of the rotation, great. And you're hoping right now they can stay that way for a little bit longer with the idea that by the All-Star break, this rotation will be back to normal. 
Now, I don't want to start keep saying that because, again, we've talked on this show. You have to work with what you got. And you have to assume that what you got is what you're going to play with. If what they got is what they're going to play with the rest of the year, it's not a championship ball club. The starting pitching is not good enough. But I digress on that whole thing. So you see that. You see the first concern there. Bassett's a little poster child and a small sample size of that. Uh, and then you see the bullpen and the situation with the bullpen where I've said it time and time again, uh, the walks will kill you. But more importantly, Buck talked about, and this is where that Eichoff stock not really having, you know, starting to really thin out with the depth. And anytime you're going to set your pass number seven on the depth chart or getting to seven, eight, nine on the depth chart of pitching, unless you're the 2015 Mets who had Syndergaard in the queue and you're ready to rock and roll with a young starter like Mats, you're not you're you're going tremendously downgraded from that. So let's just put that out there. But Buck had talked about his decision making in the eighth inning, not going to the lefty against Peterson. Great point. They would have brought Evan Longoria in. That's why I'm always been perplexed about the Chase and Shreve situation. I also question if I had to do one question on the bullpen move, I would have went to Seth Lugo there because I think. I'm not ready to fall in love with Drew Smith in that kind of situation. I know he's been good, but I also saw some of the command issues and whatnot. So you, you walk guys, you have command issues, you lay one over the plate like you did in the happy zone to a lefty. You see what happens. Power hitters, lefty power hitters, I don't care if they, they deflate the ball till the, till the cows come home. They're going to get a hole of one, and they're going to throw it into McCovey Cove. That's what's going to happen. Even if they're not great hitters, because Jock Peterson, I don't call him a great hitter, they're going to throw one into McCovey Cove. When you go into the happy zone. I mean, it was like on a tee. You couldn't have put that ball on a better tee for Jack Peterson. But Buck talked about the bullpen and trying to manage for tomorrow. And that's his job. Good managers who manage bullpens effectively look at the big picture. Now, I'm a guy that says you got a three-run lead, eighth inning, two outs. You've got to go for the gusto you go for today. Today, You know, Thursday, uh, Wednesday would have been a throwaway game to me in that situation. Uh, so... I'm looking at it differently, but Buck has more information, and he's looking at this from a broader picture than maybe I would have. I would have went more for the gusto. You're always going to have these debates. Uh, it doesn't change my feelings about Buck Walter, and I feel he does a really good job managing the bullpen. You're always going to have conversations with about things you don't like, even the best of the best in terms of doing that. Uh, so you have that, where now you're managing uncertainty. The bullpen plays into it, and a bullpen that, face it, we're still trying to see, you know, no Trevor May, which, you know, fortunately they've had some young arms come up like Steven Nagosek and Colin Holderman. I'll even throw Jake Reed in there from AAA. They're actually in a better position, I think, with depth right now. Those guys have shown with depth from AAA than they are in the rotation. So you've been fortunate where you lost a really major bullpen arm and you've had some guys like Lugo who are still trying to figure it out. And Drew Smith, who was really, really good the first month. has come way back down to earth in May, so maybe that's a little bit of a regression to the mean, but there's still a lot of walks out of that bullpen, and we've talked about that. We knew that was going to be the case with Adovino, but you know we're a little disappointed maybe, in, uh, in you know, other than Lugo, everybody else is above four walks per nine, and that's a problem. We've talked about how that's been a problem. So you see that a little bit where now the bullpen comes into play, and you know you're at an inflection point. You got to, you know, the Braves are playing the Phillies here. I was going to come to you on this Thursday, this day off. The Braves are playing the Phillies. You have a six-game lead in the loss column. The Braves, they got seven against the Phillies today. So you're still going to have that loss column lead. Uh, half game will be chopped off. The Phillies are coming to town for Memorial Day weekend. And the Mets are 29-17. and 17. So Mets are in good place as they head into Memorial Day weekend. As we're really getting past and we're ending this getting-to-know-you phase about this team. We'll get to that in a minute. Um... And there's two ways the season could go. Uh, the likely scenario we've talked about from the start, we didn't think a championship team like the Braves, a team that's a champion, was just going to all of a sudden say, I'm taking the rest of the year off. I'm going to celebrate for 162 games, enjoy my trophy, and watch the Mets run away with the division. The Phillies, as much as the defense and the bullpen, and we know it's the Phillies, and there's that always, the Phillies have kind of, since they had that golden age of Philadelphia baseball, where they seem to everything go right, for a four or five year period, they've gone back to being the Phillies, which is a nice, entertaining team. But in the end, they're going to find a way to lose. Kind of what they were pre 07 collapse and what they've become post uh, their run that ended in 2011 with the Halliday Cliff Lee situation. And we don't really have a lot of uh, faith in them coming back, but 
look, they scored a lot of runs. They're never out of a ball game, and they have two really good guys at the top of the rotation. One guy that you know will really well in Wheeler. We'll see him this weekend, who seems to be rounding back into form. And Aaron Nola, who I wouldn't uh, discount. And, you know, Kyle Gibson's pretty solid. Even Zach Eflin's pretty solid. So you're going to see a good three pitchers this weekend. So it's not like the Mets could just say, all right, we got one game where we could pound away. And the Mets offense is coming around. And then that's the other part of the symbolism of that game is that the Mets offense is coming around. Is it coming around at a time when their pitching, which was so good, just can't support it? You you can't score 12 runs every game. They're averaging about five runs a game in May. So they're getting more towards where our calculator said they're going to be. But they were a team that was built. Let's score five runs, get a really good starting uh, performance, get into the seventh inning, get six to seven, to maybe eight outs out of the bullpen, go home, sound the trumpets, Edwin Diaz, who will be part of the show. We'll get to Diaz in a minute. So you're at this point where you could push the gas, go forward, put this division into the 10 games back situation with those guys, and start to think and dream and have some fun. But even that, I mean, that's where, you know, you start to look at what will happen. Look, 90, the Braves, look at the Braves who are in your division. 93, they were down significantly to the Giants. They were down 10, 11, 12 games at the All-Star break in a situation where there was no wild card. And they came back to win that division. Now, they wouldn't. They had to win over 100 games and go on a run, but it happens. Cards in 2011 made the playoffs. I think they were down 10 or 11 games at the wild card in August. You all remember seven games and seventeen game, seven up with seventeen to play. So a lot of things can happen. But what you got to do is you got to play the table here. You got to play the poker table. You got to play the roulette. You got to play the odds. You start pushing guys back towards ten out, and you're crawling towards the All Star break. They're looking more of the wild card. They're looking at you. Or does this shrink? And I think you'll have your answer by Monday. By the time you're having, you're getting ready for that national series, having your Memorial Day barbecue really ending the first 50, first third-ish part of the season, you're going to know whether this thing is heading towards shrinking or heading towards the other way. And it's going to happen fast. And I think, unfortunately, the Mets are at a point where this really, really difficult schedule is coming at a time where having only four starters and three of the four starters that you have in the rotation are guys that are established. One who I think is a number two in Bassett and the other two, who both have had top-of-the-rotation performances, but in more recent times, probably act like more of a four or five, those kind of guys could go either way. They could give you a really good stretch or a really bad stretch, because at the end, you figure you're going to get six innings, three runs performance on average from them, but that doesn't mean they're always giving you six and three. They're giving you maybe seven innings, shut out like Taiwan Walker did on Sunday. And sometimes they're giving you a stinker where they go five innings, four runs, which you've seen from Carlos Carrasco as recently against uh, the Mariners just a couple of weeks ago. So that's kind of the frustrating part here is that you're at an inflection point where you could really take off. And you heard Buck coming in. This is a team that, you know, right now he's having trouble even waving the white flag on any game because they've had great comebacks. I think that you have to be realistic, though. Seven-run innings are not going to be common. The Mets are not going to make a habit of seven-run innings, even though they're, they're, they're playing the contact game. I also think as you look at where you are, now you can't, as I said, you cannot play, oh, well, let's look at the, you heard the rumors, you know, DeGrom might be back late June. Uh, McGill was progressing. You know, we we got Scherzer to the All-Star break, so let's put him in the back here. But you can't play, let's count how many days. We'll just get through it. I think your best scenario now, I'm not all about, I don't know what they're going to do with Zepucky. There's a day off. I think you'll hear something by later today. I think he gets sent back down. You cannot be non-competitive. I understand it's the Giants. I understand he's nervous. I understand it's his first start. But now he's had two big league outings in his career. One start. I know he was hurt last year, so maybe I could have given him a pass for last year. He's got some good minor league numbers at AAA. But he's been utterly uncompetitive. I mean, five innings in his career, he's given up 15 runs. It's going to happen, for even the best, but that sounds like a guy that doesn't belong in the big leagues. I mean, that's that. Jared Eikhoff even had a run as a pitcher where he was competitive. This guy's not even competitive. I think your best scenario for the Mets right now, is Trevor Williams and a pseudo-bullpen game. Because I wouldn't say Trevor Williams is a bullpen game pitcher. I think he's a guy that you probably can't get more than five innings, and that would be my goal. 
I would truly make Trevor Williams spot in the rotation between now and when you get McGill back and all these other guys, if they come back. They're going to come back, but we got to play the if they come back. Trevor Williams, and you could survive with this scenario for a while, I think. Trevor Williams is a guy that's going to, you're going to do a modern day start when that part of the rotation comes up. You're not going to let him go through the third time around the order because he's a contact guy. His strikeout rate is fairly decent for a contact guy, but there's going to be a lot of hits around him. But the really good thing about him is he doesn't walk anybody. The walks is what's going to mitigate the problems. That's why I think you see Carrasco and Walker actually give you success because they're not walking anybody. Sure, with, you know, Carrasco was dancing around trouble all afternoon in Colorado in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday. But guess what? He didn't mitigate those problems with a lot of walks. I mean, he mitigated those problems by not walking a lot of guys. Sorry, got a little twisted there. He didn't, he didn't enhance it. He didn't put it out there where now all of a sudden you give up a hit, a walk, another hit, now you got to run. No, give a hit, out, hit, out of the inning. The walks is where you got to go. And Trevor Williams falls into that category where he's not going to walk a lot of guys. And he's a guy that when he was at his best, yes, he gave up hits. He's going to give up home runs. You saw that on Saturday. But if you keep the guys off the base with the walks, you can get a fairly competitive outing. And he knows he's a veteran. He's been around a lot enough where he knows how to pitch. And he's also playing for his baseball life. He's 30 years old. I think a guy like that who's been around, this is kind of the point where, hey, he's either going to go one way or the other. Now, it's been a long time since he, since he won 14 games with the Pirates, so I'm not expecting that guy. But I'm asking for four and a half, best case scenario, 15 outs, five innings, and then hand the ball over to Chase and Shreve. See, and that's where... You have to manage the bullpen. When you have, you know you have a guy coming up in the rotation. And Zapucky's going to fall. Zapucky's not going to give you, you, don't, you can't expect more than a couple innings out of this guy now. You're, you're waving the white flag if this guy comes in. Maybe you try to give him one more start against the Nationals. You want to see if San Francisco road, day game, day after a tough loss. Okay. You want to give him one more? You know, you have a, you have a situation where you're in, you can maybe play with one more. But do you have to when you have a guy there? Now, I understand if you have a bad outing from some of the other guys and David Peterson's in there, and that's a guy that could have a bad outing. Um, you know, now you have a situation where you may have to call in Williams earlier or what have you. But that's where you got to figure out the Zapucky stuff. I mean, poor Steven Nagosek. He's looks like he's really found his way. This is a guy from the Addison Reed trade. And he goes, he, every, both outings, he's had a really good uh, three innings. He gets sent down. That's the nature of uh, options. Now you can only go up and down, I think, five times. So you have to start looking. The next time you bring a ghost sick up, you want to make it fairly where, uh, fairly obvious you're staying. So that's where he would piggyback. And maybe that's where they'll go, you know, because by that time he'll have some distance between the outing. Maybe that's where they'll go for the next time Zapucky or the fifth spot in the rotation comes up. So that's where I would go. What I would say is I've been critical of the Mets and their development of young relievers. That's been a theme. They haven't developed anybody. Colin Holderman's starting to look at like a guy that, let's keep an eye on him. He might get into some higher leverage situations. And I, I told you about Jake Reed, another guy. I know that his walk rate at the big league level uh, you know, has been – high, but uh, I like his stuff, his slider. I think he's a short stint guy, even though they've used him for multiple innings. And uh, Nagosek has shown that he could go multiple innings and, and get guys out. So you've got three young guys, and I know you don't want to keep shuttling them up and down. And the, Prior to where there was a cap on guys with options going up and down, you could shuttle these guys all day. And I don't think that's healthy either. And I told you guys that. It's funny that that was part of the CBA talks. I said for years, a guy that's in Syracuse today, New York tomorrow, back to Syracuse. Oh, I got to go out to Toledo. Oh, I got a call. I'm going back to New York. They're living out of a suitcase. That's never going to be a good situation, and you're not going to get peak performance out of them. Even if you say this is your role, they're going to accept it because they have no choice. They want to be in the big leagues. That's never a good situation. So... That's where I think you're at. You're, you, we're getting in that final phase of the getting to know you Mets. And you're going to get to know them a little bit because they're, they're faced with a lot of adversity right now. This is a big deal. That game on Tuesday, which would have made this trip, and I think this even this opening, I would have had still the components of this opening. I would have still talked about this, but I think it would have been more about look at this team and the fact that they're a grinding team. They are never really out of it. 
they really remind you. They have, I mean, it's funny because you have all these Yankees connections, and I hate to keep bringing up the Yankees, but between Epler and Buck and, and going back and so on and so forth and how there's a lot of things from those late 90s Yankees, turn of the century Yankees, before they became kind of this character themselves at, towards the latter part of the beginning of the, the, the century, the first decade of the century. That you could take away is good. Though those late '90s Yankees teams, they were always grinding at you. I said this last time. I think it was the last show. You never felt you were comfortable, even when you're up five, six runs, because it just takes a, a couple of hits. They made a lot of contact, and then boom, there's a home run. This Mets team has a little bit of that, and their stats never jumped out at you on the page. You had your Jeters, you had your core four, you had your stars, and then later on, you had your Giambis of the world and what have you. But even when it was Tito Martinez and O'Neill pass, you know, O'Neill was a really good, they were solid, really good, solid players. And sometimes their numbers jumped out at you more than when, uh, when you were watching them. And the Mets have a little bit of that. They had veterans that knew their role at the end of their careers, a Tim Raines, a Cecil Fielder, so on and so forth. Look at how Luis Guillermes kind of slid into that. But, I mean, that's really where you're at. You're looking at a Mets team right now as they try to figure out their health of their starting pitching. And I don't want to get into on this show Frankie Montas. I know, there, you know there's rumors they're scouting him. And Tyler Male, who's, 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 who's not really pitching well, because it's way too early to make a deal because that's a deal that you'd make out of, let's face it, out of desperation. And if you think after what, what Zapucky did, you think he could get you anything? You're not getting those guys with Zabucky get thrown in. Is uh, we'll see what he has. But now, if he shut the team down for five, six innings, look good. You know, maybe you could call up Billy Bean and say, "Hey, you want to do this now?" But even then, you're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. The team is what it is. They're not, they're they're not in a position to make a deal before the deadline and not pay a significant price. There is going to be painful decisions as you get to the deadline this year. Trust me, there's going to be painful decisions that have to be made. There are going to be prospects that you like that you may, four years down the road, say, damn, we could use that. But it's about this year and winning. And is a responsible way of doing that and irresponsible. And starting to panic now is irresponsible. You'll have yourself a big problem. So that's where you're at. We're not done yet. I'm going to come back with another segment before we wrap up. The evolution of Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz is really that guy that has great stuff. and But there are times where, man, he could he could really break your heart. He broke the Mets' heart on Tuesday night. What do we see with Evan Diaz? What does the data say? And as bullish as I've been, should we be? Because as we enter this phase of the Mets trying to use a lot of bullpen and offense, they're going to need that ninth inning. They're going to need him to be really good in that ninth inning. And what happened against the Giants cannot become the next Diaz slump. Let's look at what Diaz is and what's going on, because there is one number that's perplexing and concerning right after this. Going into the Giants game, and I know that Diaz had blown the save against the Cardinals last week in the great you know home run of uh, Pete Alonso game, and uh, they, he was a little unlucky, but a walk played into that. And he had the Arizona game early in the year, and he wasn't he was okay against Colorado. I mean, he allowed a hit, but that was a fairly sweaty, a sweat free save. And now you have the Giants situation. Where he comes in, he gets the double play, two outs, nobody on, walk, single, 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 game over. And heartbreak and a trip that would have been fantastic went from fantastic to acceptable. And a lot of that had to do, and it was just so much to ask after that loss. I mean, I know baseball is a game that doesn't have the next day effect in theory. Because the score is 0-0, it's a new starting pitcher. It's not like the NBA. It's not like the NHL. You're not lined up and, and all this emotion. 
But I've always felt that there is a next day effect because these are human beings. And I, I always talked about how, how impressed I was with the 2019 Mets when they had that awful loss against the Nats in Washington when they blew the six-run lead in the ninth inning. Gut-wrenching loss. And um, they came back the next day. I think Wheeler was on the mound, and they won. And that was a Nats team that wound up winning a championship. So it wasn't like they were playing second-division club. I think it was a lot to ask for this team this early in the year with that young pitcher on the mound. That's where the starting pitcher sets the tone to, to have to do that. And it's not like they needed the afternoon win. Uh, I don't think they punted the game, but they were pretty much... They didn't have one foot on the on the plane. Certainly Jeff McNeil didn't, if you look at that hustle play. that nearly He's got to use his, his noodle there. He almost took out his year. We need, you need Jeff McNeil in the lineup. You don't need him hurting his lower half like he did the other uh, last year and then going to a slump. So you know, these, these losses, and that probably is your worst loss of the season. Even though it was a game you gave away, but you grabbed back. That was your worst loss of the season. That's not like the Seattle loss. We talked about the Seattle being the stick-to-your-ribs loss. That's not it. This is your worst loss of the season, this Giants game. And Edwin Diaz is at the center of it. So uh, you guys all know I've always felt that, uh, you know, look, Diaz is a guy that sometimes, not sometimes, does get unlucky. Because he throws so hard, his ball moves so much. You have these cue shots, these dinks, these dunks, and you're like, uh, what's going on here with this guy? Why, why does it feel like, as unhittable as this stuff is, why does it feel it's so hittable? And you know the strikeout rate. It's 15, 16, 17 per nine. I mean, there's so much non-contact that, for the most part, when, you're, when he comes in the game, if you don't touch the ball, you're not going to win. There's no way you're going to come back and dink and dunk a guy you can't touch. But the walks are high, and his walks actually are higher than they were in that awful 2019 inaugural season with the Mets. They're trending towards the north of four that you don't want him to be, that you saw in the pandemic season, where he was good, but again, could get himself into trouble. And he's already given up as many home runs this year as he had all of last year. He's given up three home runs in in 18 innings. He gave up three home runs last year in 62 innings. So, you know, what kind of confidence level? Because I feel fairly confident when Diaz comes in. Every closer is going to have their issues. There's no, and I said this many years ago when the Mets came in and were going after K-Rod after he had that 60-save season. I said, there's no God in the ninth inning. Nobody's infallible. Maybe Mariana Rivera was as close to that, that guy as possible. The, you know, a reliever award is named after him. Okay, fine. You want to argue with me on that? I'll, I'll take that. But... Even Mariano Rivera blew a save to the Indians, and he blew a World Series Game 7, and he blew a sweep closeout ninth inning save against the Red Sox in the collapse of 04. So he had his moments, not many, he had his moments. And I'm not saying Diaz is in that class, because he certainly is not. But I also am starting to say to myself, okay, what do my eyes say? I see a guy that is at times losing command of his pitches again. And, f- and we saw that against the Cardinals in his save, and you saw that against the blown save. And maybe to a certain degree you saw that in Colorado on Sunday, but he recalibrated and he, and he found himself, and he used his fastball more, and that's going to be something that we'll talk about. And that could have been because of the feel of the pitch, and I have a feeling, and I don't have the data of where he went in the Colorado game, but visually I felt he was going more fastball. That could have been because of the environment, because of the you know being above sea level. So I go to Baseball Savant and I say, what, is the, what are the numbers? What is, what is going on with Diaz? Because one of the most impressive saves he had of the year, we talked about how he's been going to his slider. Remember, you don't have James McCann also behind the plate. Factor that into Diaz, maybe get into a slump. Having James McCann behind the plate, nothing against Mazika and Nito. I think having the level of thinking and knowledge and prep work that, that McCann puts in could hurt Diaz most out of everybody. Because I think Diaz is a guy that needs to be walked through, especially when the heat goes up. He's an emotional guy. Um, he's not a co- cool customer. His whole DNA is energy and emotion. Uh, you could see that on the mound. And you need that kind of cerebral type of catcher behind the plate that can walk you through it. And they don't have that right now because he's going to be out until July. So I look at the numbers and I'm like, okay, still striking out a ton of guys. He was very effective outside of that Arizona Cardinal situation until 
this week. I mean, Arizona laid one on a tee to Varsho. That always could happen. But the concerning part to me is a couple of different things. And I don't know if these are anomaly stats because we're still early in the season. And you figure if the Mets are competitive, I mean, he pitched about 60 innings last year. You're going to see Diaz get into another 45 ball games or so. So there's another 40 to 45 innings in, at play that could normalize his numbers out to where they're going to be. Now, everything kind of looks the same, except for the first time, uh, the hard hit rate is trending above 40% and trending towards where he was in that awful inaugural season. Something to look at. And his K rate is still where it needs to be and what have you. His walk rate is high. It's actually higher right now than it was in that awful 2019 season. They're barreling the ball, not to the level that they were during uh, 2019, but they're barreling the ball significantly higher. Uh, excuse me, let me take that back. I'm wrong. They're not barreling the ball as at the same rate as they were in prior years. Actually, they're barreling the, his, they're not getting... They're not getting the sweet spot of the bat on the ball as much as they normally did. That's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. So they're not hitting the sweet spot, the data says, but they're hitting the ball hard when they do hit it. He's caying people, his walks are up. So maybe these are all connected. So if you're not hitting the sweet spot, your walks are up, that means he's, the, the, the pitch is dancing. So there is times where if they're going to spit on that or they're just going to say, I'm not even, it may not even be recognizing the pitch. They're like, I have no chance here. I'm going to hope this guy walks me because it's two outs, nobody on. If I can get on base, I'll pass the baton to the next guy. And that's how it started with Yastrzemski getting the walk. So so all those stats, I'm looking at it. Balls are being hit harder. Home runs are uh, are, are back up a little bit. Uh, you know, the, 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 the exit velocity on average is about what it really is. But why is it that they're they're hitting the ball hard when they get an opportunity? So then I look at his pitch selection. Here's a guy that two-thirds fastball, four-seam fastball, third slider historically throughout his career. And a lot of this data is uh, new, so maybe we don't have going back to 2018. But last year, you just used last year, it was two-thirds four-seam fastball, one-third slider. And he was very successful. Now, this year, the most impressive save was that one, I thought, in Philadelphia where he slidered the Phillies to death in that big win and got Reese Hoskins uh, in the ninth. And uh, I think he did that to a certain degree in the no-hitter. And I said, wow, and this has been written about. I think John Harper wrote about it a lot at uh, SNY.TV. That slider, he's almost using that slider now as a setup pitch. He used to use his fastball to set up his slider. He's using his slider to set up the hitter where now they don't know what's coming. You could either get blown away with 99-mile-an-hour heat or you could have this pitch that's just going to – you start with Harrison Bader striking out. You commit so early and you can't stop your bat and you're swinging at something that's not a strike. It's a beautiful thing. And I looked at the stats after the last ball game. He's about 50-50 four-seam fastball to slider. He's actually thrown 10 more sliders this year than four-seam fastballs. So he's more of a slider pitcher. So he's working off the slider. Now, here's what's really interesting. So I gave you all those numbers. They're not getting the bat on the ball very much. Uh, but they're hitting the ball harder. Or hitting the ball as hard when they, when they get a chance on the sweet spot than they ever have going back to 2019. And I'm not an expert on this data. I'm not an analytic guy. So maybe I'm botching this. And if I am, you, you know the email address. This is a conversation. This is an opinion-based show. We're not writing theses here. Nobody's you know, get a, getting a Pulitzer Prize for what's coming on this show. This is fun. We're having an entertaining uh, conversation, like we're at a bar. Um, the league is hitting about a buck sixty off his slider. They're not slugging the ball on his slider. Not hitting the, hard to hit his slider out unless you put it on a tee. Varsho, the worst-case scenario is lefty, slider hanging, Varsho home run. Think of Arizona. That's your worst case scenario. Not easy. Everything has to fall into place for that to happen. Not easy. Uh, you know, not a high slugging percentage against the slider. But they're hitting 320 and they're slugging 560 off of his fastball this year. And the velocity is the same. It's not like 
He's not throwing any sinkers, or he's thrown one sinker, they say, this year. I don't really care too much for him to do it. He's a fastball slider pitcher. Let's call it what it is. Um, it's really interesting. And I'm looking at the spin rate on this fastball. Spin rate's uh, actually higher. Uh, you know, his whiff rate on the fastball is higher uh, than it is normally. What's going on? So that's the interesting part. Is this a statistical anomaly? But it, it, are things changing where because he's setting up hitters with his slider, and remember, these are complicated mechanics, and I think one of the biggest things that happened to him in 2019 is there was a way for the hitter to know when to spit on that slider and when to hold back for that fastball. And it, certainly when you get he gets behind on the count with you, he's been using his slider to throw a strike because he's got more confidence in it. But more than likely, if you're a hitter, you're going to like, he's got to come up with a fastball. He doesn't want to fall behind 3-0 on me, especially if there's runners on. It becomes even more critical for him. But he's been, been ballsy, and he's been throwing slider for strikes down the count. So why is that happening? Why is this fastball so hittable right now? And I don't have more than a couple of years of data here. But to me, I wonder if it is, by setting up his, by using his slider as a setup pitch, has he diminished the effectiveness of this fastball? Or is he not commanding it as much? At times I felt he hasn't, I felt his command, and this is an eye test, this is a visual. I felt his command on the slider has been, Better at times than the fastball. So these are all questions. I don't have any answers for them. It'd be great if we could get Jeremy Hefner on the show. I don't even know if he'd be honest with us on that. But really at this point, and this even with Scherzer, DeGrom, McGill, like you're not getting nine inning complete games out of this rotation. Maybe Walker and Carrasco, if there's enough of a spread. I think if you had a 5-6-7-0 lead on Sunday, I think Walker might have gotten the ninth. And you might get them because, and again, remember, teams are also looking at players as assets. You hate to say that because they're human beings, but they're assets. They're not going to care about a 35-year-old, 34-year-old Carrasco's arm. And to a certain degree, they're not going to care about Walker's arm. They're going to care about DeGrom. They're going to care about Scherzer. They're going to care about McGill. They're going to care about a young pitcher like Peterson. Not so much. They're going to push them a little bit. Not, I'm not saying they're going to abuse them, but they're more likely to push the gas on that. Now, the theme of the show is are the Mets ready to push the gas here and really push this division back? Are they, you know, who are they going to push the gas on in the rotation? We want to push all our pitchers. You know, you know here, at this show, you want to push pitchers. We want to push them into the seventh inning. You're not going to see that. I think they're going to be very cautious, especially with the Grom. So you're going to need Diaz, and you're going to need Diaz. This is going to be a lot of ninth inning Diaz's. Now, if the team starts really tacking on runs, 7-8-0 or 13-3, then you could go with Chase and Shreve or... Joely Rodriguez against, you know, the bottom of the order or even the middle of the order because you got a 10-run lead. You know, maybe you get Jake Reed back up here. Maybe Trevor May gets uh, healthy and, and stuff like that. So you don't worry about Diaz then. But you're going to need Diaz. There's going to be a, a number of one-run, two-run, three-run games, especially as you go to these West Coast trips against, against L.A., San Diego, L.A. You're not going to blow those teams out consistently. So all I'm saying is let's keep an eye on this. Because the numbers are contradictory. They're not barreling up against them, but when they do, they hit it hard. What's going on? Why is this fastball so hittable? Is it small sample size? Is it because of what happened against the Giants? Did that increase it? Could have. I didn't, I didn't look at that number till before this show. So the Giant numbers are in there. Interesting. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking about this podcast. So uh, I didn't call this a short. I, I kind of, you know, like I said, as we evolve with this show, I'm like, all right, the schedule is going to pretty much permit Sunday shows throughout the season. But right now you're in that stretch where you have West Coast, you have um, 
Sunday Night Baseball. I mean, as the Mets continue to be a, a, a ticket, Sunday Night Baseball is going to want them, and it kind of screws up the fact. I like baseball on a Sunday afternoon. I like my baseball done by 5 o'clock. But Sunday Night Baseball, and it's Memorial Day, so you know, I'm assuming a lot of you are not working on Monday. I shouldn't assume that because it's a lot of you that have to work on a, a holiday, and that sucks. Um, but you can w- listen to this show on loop if you want, if that's something that gets you through your work day. So uh, when's the next show? I know that everybody was tweeting at me, you know, what's going on, Mike, what have you. So you obviously have Sunday Night Baseball, and news always dictates. Something big happens, we're going to be here. The plan, though, is to get through the six-game homestand. There's an afternoon game, the final game of the Nats series on Wednesday before the Mets head out, early game. They used to call them back in uh, the day a business person special. So we call them business person special, those early getaway day games where you can sneak away from work. But everybody Zooms now, so you're really sneaking away from work when you uh, when you go to the business person special on Wednesday afternoon against the Nats. Uh, anyway... Uh, couple of things planned. Like to do a show that day, that night. Uh, so you have something as we head into the really crucial. The theme will be about the, the West Coast trip. And also kind of look back. And I'm trying to put something together. Look back at the Santana no-hitter, which will be, as we come up on June 2nd, just a week or so away. It'll be 10 years. It's amazing. The 10 years since the Mets broke their no-hit curse. And this season, the season of the 10-year anniversary of the Santana no-hitter, the Mets have a unique... No hitter, a multi pitcher team, no hitter. So interesting how those things work out. So we'll talk more about that. And then they head out to their. I mean, this was a, a, a rough trip, but this wasn't a brutal trip. They head out to a really brutal trip, and I think it's critically important. I mean, yeah, the Nats are a bit of a you know take a take a breath. But look, you look at the Nats. I told you, Eric Fetty shut down the Dodgers yesterday. You never could take big league teams for granted. And they got a couple of boppers in that lineup. They got Soto. You know, Soto could have, a, could have a Jack Peterson series, and all of a sudden you're in a fight. Can't take anything for granted, especially when you're not, you have none of those Scherzer DeGrom days where you could say, all right, we're going to get an ace performance today. You don't have that right now. You have no guarantees. And, you know, Bassett's your ace, and his first test post Scherzer injury, post contract, is he spit the bit. Not saying he's going to. He spit the bit, so let's keep an eye on that. And it's funny, and I will say one more thing before I wrap up. I'm not really have much more to say other than I want to give you the schedule and, and say goodbye. I I love people leaving reviews. You want to leave one star, you want to leave five stars. That helps. The more reviews you leave for this program, the more it will grow. We continue to grow. Can't be any happier to to where we're at with the subscribers of this show, the feedback, the emails, the personal. I owe owe some people emails, and I'll get to them over the holiday weekend. But um, And there's a lot of things I want to get into on the next show. There's a lot of things that this was really a show I wanted to set things up with. And when you do these midweek shows, they're kind of different. You can't do the features and things like that. But if you're going to leave a review and say I'm negative, especially based on the last show, uh, how can you do that when the theme of the show is that this is not a sky is falling team? So I get a one-star review, and I'm not even going to read the guy's handle because it's goofy. I get a one-star review because I'm negative, mainly because it's the Pete, the Pete fangirls that like to come on and are mad that I didn't like the celebration. There's a whole generation of people here that they all worry about is, is protecting their uh, virtue signaling. And me, by going after celebrations, that was, my, that, that was their, me attacking their generation, which I wasn't. I said I didn't like it. I didn't say no celebrations. I didn't say be stoic. I said, can we be somewhere in the middle here? From three-point shot with the helmet to bat throwing? There's got to be a middle ground, right? I mean, it's, it's like, what do you want to do, cartwheels around the bases, pirouettes? This is not a, uh, you know, this is not a movie. Uh, uh, you know, this is not Angels in the Outfield, you know, going back to the baseball movies, which we have to get back to. I got to see what the update is and see where the, uh, the tournament bracket's going because I know some of you said that, that you couldn't get in and do your, your, uh, your baseball movie bracket over at MLB.com. So, if you're going to leave a review, at least listen to the show properly and, and, and use your noodle and be balanced. You want to leave a one star, but you look like a clown when you say I'm a negative guy on a show that said the sky is falling. The sky is not falling. That's it. Be a pro. Like, just like I'd ask Pete to be a pro, you as a listener, be a professional listener of the Talking Mets podcast. Be critical. I don't care. Leave a negative one star review. It's your right. I'm never going to tell you that you don't have a right to express your opinion. But I'm going to tell you that you did a bad job when you do express your opinion. 
because I'm going to evaluate. We give opinions on the game, and we give opinions about the opinions on this show. There's no shortage of opinions when you go and you turn on the Talking Mets podcast. All right, that's it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Check out the good folks over at fansided and risingapple.com. Have a good Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast after the holiday weekend, after the homestand. Until then, take care, everybody. All your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.